Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. In September 2020, Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is supporting the roots of music. The Roots of Music empowers the youth of New Orleans through music education, academic support, and mentorship while preserving and promoting the unique musical and cultural heritage of the city. This month, we're donating 10% of MassDES revenue to The Roots of Music. For more about what they do and how you can help, check them out at therootsofmusic.org. If you'd like to participate in our sponsorship of music-related organizations, become a MassDES patron at patreon.com slash Thanks for listening. Mark and Sarah talk about songs, talk about songs, talk about songs. We certainly do talk about songs. I cannot wait to discuss this particular song with my co-host, Mark Blankenship. Hello, Mark. Well, I'm sitting here in a leather vest with no shirt on and an enormous hat. (laughs) So I feel like I'm ready for the day. And that's different. How? Oh, normally um, I would be wearing an enormous bonnet. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. (laughs) It's the only difference. Um, I forgot to mention that I'm Sarah D. Bunting, uh, but neither of us actually picked this song. Mark, tell us more about where this suggestion came from. Yes, this is a request from our listener, Sharon S. And if you would like to make a request, all you have to do is hit us up on social media or at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com. We love getting your requests. And Sharon S. asked us if we would talk about Parliament's Give Up the Funk. And we said, yes, we will. (laughs) So should we tear the roof off the sucker with a clip? I think that we should. This mother sucker. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, forget you, Dad. All right, here is a clip from Parliament's Give Up the Funk. you are i clipped this section because i think it okay this song is one of those times where i really feel my lack of like academic knowledge about certain modes of music including jazz because this is like a sister jazz um experience that i just don't necessarily have the vocabulary or the grounding in that like jokes aside and I've made them all the time and I will continue to, but like, I just don't know jazz well enough to speak to certain things in the way that they're made. So there's that, but I have read on the internet. So it must be true that this is like a three layered jazz, like thematic jazz build. And this section I think really 
pulls apart the discrete elements of the song that then like re-merge with each other to make the song that we know it, the song that we know like historically. Um, but every every discrete element of the song is so good that when they all come back in together, I'm actually like a little disappointed. And it strikes me that this is one of the issues I have with jazz is that there's like just too much going on and I'm a shitty multitasker and I need to be able to sit with whatever um, story is being told without like the other 18 tootly narratives being like, but I'll, <laughs> then this happened, plot twist. And I'm like, I'm, I'm way back here with the piano. You got to slow down. So that is an issue that I have with the song, but also with my own interpretive abilities. And I was sort of listening to this this morning and being like, I wish I had time to fucking go to graduate school and learn everything that I don't know about this. Um, so that's where I'm at with it. Like the song, this part of the song I really love, but then the song as a whole, I'm like, I think it might be one of those songs also that it, like the last song we talked about, the Belinda Carlisle, has been used as a placeholder to evoke a certain time and feeling orally of like 1975 funk culture, funk culture that, um, I, I don't know, like I, I feel like the song is so essential that it is like no longer essential to me to think about it. But also it's because I just don't really know what the fuck I'm talking about or how to talk about it. So I, I am in a somewhat confused but generally optimistic place. <laughs> and you? We're, we're very much aligned. Uh, this is not the podcast episode to listen to. If you would like a thoughtful exegesis on the jazz modalities of Parliament and its more experimental uh, sister band Funkadelic. Yeah. I mean, uh, at least you got to the word modalities. I was just fucking <laughs> floundering around at the 300 level. Anyway. But, like, please don't write on iTunes that you're disappointed that we didn't do that. Uh, like, like, like has happened for in us the past. to try would have been even more disappointing, we assure you. But, you know, our whole steez over here is to just, as longtime passionate music fans and professional thinkers about culture, to approach these to, to approach songs in the best way that we can and i also received the idea that parliament and funkadelic were not merely to be listened to but to but were to be studied yeah. and that's one of the reasons that i have always found jazz a little forbidding because the culture around jazz says that you can't just listen to it you have to analyze it and listen to it simultaneously and sometimes while in, you're incredibly stoned too which yes. is like that's i can't i can't it's there's just this, there's this certain types of music and certain artists seem to develop cults that tell you there is only one true way to appreciate them and unless you are brought into that cult in a natural way, like say your family listens to it, someone that you care about listens to it, it can feel impossible to break in. And I was raised 
in a white family in southeastern Tennessee where the music that was most likely to be played around me by my family was country music, 60s rock, and weirdly, the Pet Shop Boys. So the language that I know how to speak that is natural to me musically that has been sort of stitched into my bones is not a language that includes parliament or funkadelic for better or for worse. And I'm not saying that that's a good or a bad thing. That's just what is true. And so I don't have the bone deep platform in my, this metaphor, I'm losing control of it. I don't have the lifelong understanding of and appreciation of what funk and jazz do to be able to hear them in the way that I sometimes feel like I'm being asked to hear them. So all that I have yeah. left, all that I have left is my ability to just like them as a per like these songs or not like these songs as a person who likes to enjoy songs sometimes without thinking about them that much. I know that sounds contradictory to everything that we've done in 202 episodes of this show. But, you know, there has to be uh, there has to be an ability to appreciate a song without thinking about it. And then, uh, Sarah, I'm losing control of what I'm trying to say. The point is, I mean, we yeah, agree I, is what you're trying yeah, to we say. We agree. And that said, I feel like I am good for about 40 seconds of give up the funk. I'm like grooving. It's fine. And then I want the next dance at the wedding to start. Yeah, it does sort of do the same thing over and over again. And I found myself thinking, I was just sort of like doodling in my notes um, and thinking about this uh, sort of subgenre of funk that's like songs about who owns the groove that James right. Brown has like a whole catalog of these songs where he's just like declaring um, ownership of the groove. And it was an interesting thing to think about culturally at this moment in history, uh, many, many moons after this song came out and became sort of part of the um, like institutional record of pop funk music. Right. That like, we want the funk, give up the funk is like, you know, is this directed at the wedding DJ? Maybe, but is it also po quite possibly directed at white people for appropriating culturally black modes? A hundred percent, yes. And fucking them up? Yeah, it is. And um, I like it, in my attempts to interpret this song without any jazz <laughs> depth of field. I really um. I really felt that instruction very deeply that it was like, um, dear Sarah, no, no, <laughs> you, you talk about Tennyson. That's what you do. We're going to be over here doing this. That's what we do. Well, um, and you know, I actually think that's fair because the yeah. album that this song is on is called Mothership Connection. And it is quite pointedly a, an album that uses the tropes of what would eventually be known as Afrofuturism which is something that George Clinton, founder of Parliament, helped to create, as, as far as I can tell, as far as I understand. Yeah. But it's the idea that he wanted to imagine, uh, through his music, black people going into space. He wanted to imagine black people having access to things that were bigger than the lives that they had been handed at the time. And I think all of that is to say that element of the story is not necessarily for me. 
Yeah. Okay. That's fine. And I think about what you just said about you've got Tennyson. It made me think about how passionately I got into analyzing the Patty Griffin song because Patty Griffin writes in a mode that is very connected to my cultural experience. Like that type of uh, narrative songwriting and that type of acoustic guitar structure, I get it. And interestingly enough, you know, Tracy Chapman also writes in that mode. And then there are white artists who create music in the mode of parliament. So I guess it's not like entirely about your your race or your ethnicity. But I think in this case for me and perhaps for you, it is. Like this isn't the story for me because this isn't the world I was in. And not everything has to be for me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it's not for us, not in the sense of like, this isn't for me. Right. It's exactly. Like, yeah. It's like this isn't this isn't made for me. This isn't aimed at me. This isn't designed for me, and it doesn't care what I think of it, which is good because whatever I said about it was probably the the babblings of an overcaffeinated idiot. What else is new? Tip your waitress. Well, well it's um, like one of the reasons that I really like the show Shit's Creek is that the gay characters were not created to be legible to to straight characters. Like, right? They they Patrick and. Uh, oh my God, Dan Levy. What's his David? Patrick and David. They talk to each other like gay people talk to each other in ways that are just so subtle that if you're not a gay person, maybe you wouldn't even notice. But they're not trying to make people who aren't gay notice. They're just doing it to for themselves and for the community they're trying to reach. And it's like, great, Parliament is doing that too. And there are ways, of course, that straight people can enjoy David and Patrick. And there are ways that people who are not steeped in jazz, Afrofuturism, and the black experience can enjoy Parliament. Obviously, this song is a great example. It made the top 20 uh, on the Hot 100. But it's like, it's actually, I do think you're right. It's it's pretty great that it's not trying to translate itself for me if I'm not already there. Yeah, and it doesn't need to. Um, every now and then, sorry to keep fucking dragging baseball into this podcast lately, but I can only be who I am. My last name is Bunting. Live with it. <laughs> there's there's something that I like to say about when people are like, they find out that I'm super into baseball and they're like, I think it's really boring. Sorry. And I'm like, don't be sorry. Like, first of all, a lot of the time it is boring, even when you like it. Like, a lot of things are just boring. Life can be really boring. I wish life in 2020 would get boring because so tired of being thrilled all the time anyway the the sort of analogy i use is like it's the gossip in russian principle that could be like the hottest goss you ever touched but you'll never know because you don't speak russian right so and you know there's like other parts to this metaphor namely like is russian pleasant to listen to even if you don't understand what's being said so like maybe you want to say gossip in italian like baseball or for me it's football i don't really know what's going on but i find even though it's like a lot of yelling and violence i find nfl football will put me to sleep in like 10 minutes like literally put me to sleep like just knock me out like a somnex so there is something to be said for things that you don't understand, but are also like just happening sort of over your head in a soothing manner. And I think that often jazz is, is like that. And there are a lot of things that are like that. There are whole sectors of the culture that I'm like, I don't, I don't really know anything about this, but it's shiny. You know? And I think I, that one of the things that you're that's getting okay. at, 
Yeah. To me, one of the things that you're also getting at here is why we need critics, because not no single critic can be the expert on everything. So we need a lot of different types of critics who have a lot of different types of backgrounds to then talk about these various art forms in a manner that is exciting and steeped in their own expertise. Because I would love to find a critic when a casual, who, has, who uses a casual voice who can speak passionately and well about everything that Parliament is doing. And that would be great. And I think that our little, what we then contribute to the conversation, and anyone who is listening to this, I think we all have something to contribute to the cultural conversation at any moment, right? Like people from our perspective have something else to contribute, which is sort of the first time in the culture observation. I mean, that's not quite correct because we've been steeped in this music our whole lives. But like, there's something about our perspective that is, um, I, I hope, interesting. Otherwise, people have probably paused this already. But I just think it would be, I would love to hear someone talk about this music in a way that is much more um, expert and then just see how we might talk about it together. So if yeah. anyone out there is a big Parliament fan, uh, reach out. Maybe we can have you on the show because it could be really cool. Yeah. And I, I would also like to, you know, think and talk about, you know, briefly before we end the episode, just the, sort of the idea tied to what I was talking about before that like, this was a big hit. So this is their, this is their accessible stuff. Yes. And how does that fit into like the, the spectrum of their work and what was their feeling about this charting versus other stuff that they did and is is this the code switched face that mm. Parliament and P Funk sort of gave to the pop charts? It's interesting that you would put it that way because how funny or interesting that then songs like this, some of their more accessible songs, like Atomic Dog, also being another one, sure. became the backbone of massively popular hip hop songs in the nineties. Yeah, like. All of the Dr. Dre and Snoop songs basically use these songs. And uh, MC Hammer had a hit song called Turn This Mother Out from his first album, uh -huh. the one before Please Hammer Don't Hurt Him, that is clearly just built on the back of this song. So it's so interesting to see the way that that line was drawn. And because all of those songs were such huge, unavoidable hits, I feel like I'm actually more conversant with what rap artists of the 90s were doing with this music than I am with what the originators of this music were doing in the 70s. Oh, right. Well, and also we were like, you were still, an, you know, an egg and I was two when this came out. So right, it's like, exactly. Okay, like the the sense of like having been steeped in it always is like, well, but not really, because even though we were born in the 70s, like we're not of the 70s. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I, mean, I, I am sort of, but then see also... James Brown again, vis-a-vis right. -vis, uh, how much James Brown f has found and still finds its way into hip-hop, not just because of those uh, juicy Maceo samples or, you know, whichever part of their band they're taking from, or just him being like, yow, but that, that he had so many songs where he was singing about um, singing and singing about his job and his role in the culture and what he and his band were trying to do for black people and trying to um, 
not like trying not to explain to white people. So right. that this is why I keep having this recurring fantasy of going to grad school and getting like literally a master's in the evolution of hip hop samples and how things go through time that way, even though I'm, you know, not the whitest person, but I'm in the conversation for the whitest person. <laughs> so, but I am just, um, also fascinated by like activist funk. Yes. And it's so true. Like this parliament also making activist funk it, and it's, it's kind of thrilling to see the enormous theatrical world that George Clinton and the and Parliament and Funkadelic created because there is such a potent political purpose to all of that. Yeah. And the the ability to fuse the political with the funky and to have a to have hit songs but also to have this like deeper goal this deeper artistic goal that actually as i'm saying it is a line that you can draw from parliament to janelle monet because janelle now janelle monet someone whose music i love and listen to a lot and maybe don't understand on every level but certainly feel like i have a lot to say about she is such a brilliant artist and she's definitely part of that lineage of people who have made thrilling music that is also making a huge social point and that's just one of the many ways like you said that funk and lots of other musical styles before it sort of have continued to influence what we hear right now. Right. And then what is the sort of relationship, um, according to cultural critics who know more about it historically, between this slightly less accessible seeming um, parliament catalog and, say, Stevie Wonder, who I right. think was this um, much more digestible for whatever reasons um concept for the white pop world well for one of the reasons i think is that well we are talking out of i mean i am talking out of my ass i just want to make it clear that i'm just sort of like what is the relationship like i basically understand the relationship i'm not an idiot i just would love to read someone who has studied the relationship just talking about it and being like, and then we see this, and then I'll listen to a ton of cool shit as well. Yeah. It, I would say, again, listeners, if you know more than we do about this <laughs> and want to engage with us, I would love to hear from you. And it would be really interesting and fun, I think, to keep this conversation going. So, yeah. uh, again, talk about songs at gmail.com or any of our social media handles, which you will hear in the bumper of this episode are great ways to reach us. And uh, we would love to give up the funk for you, meaning talk to you. Yes. <laughs> Nasty. Hey, listen to the man. Godfather. Payback. Cold-blooded. Y'all, Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship, a.k.a. me, and Sarah D. Bunting. And it's edited by Sarah D. Bunting as well. Do you want to talk to Mark and Sarah about song requests, ads, or birthday readings? Email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com, tweet us at TalkSongs, or find us on Facebook at facebook.com 
slash mastus.podcast. To become a supporter and producer of this podcast, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mastus, where you can get access to all kinds of cool bonus content and vote in our ranking episodes. Thanks for listening. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.